Amen. Would you please remain standing for the scripture reading? It's in John chapter 1. And turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to follow along, John chapter 1, 1 through 18. And following the reading of the word, we'll sing the Gloria Patri. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. The focus of our sermon today, the text, the key text is John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of God uh, from the Father full of grace and truth. And uh, the focus of this verse, the center point really of this whole passage is the mystery of the incarnation, the wonder of the incarnation. That's the focus of it. In a sense, it's the entire passage, but this, uh, this verse particularly zeroes in on it. And uh, for those of you that have been in Ryan Heat in the Sunday school class, you'll see a lot of inf- interaction, inter- overlap with uh, some of the things that I'll mention today. There are six elements of the incarnation that are brought out to us in this particular text. The first is the incarnation itself, Christ's incarnation. <clears throat> the Word became flesh. The Word, as we know, is the eternal God. The eternal God who was there at the beginning and before the beginning uh, became flesh, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who is life, who is light. The infinite became finite, finite, at least added to him, the a man. The invisible became visible. The transcendent became imminent. <clears throat> and it's a, a mystery to us in many regards, how can God become man without giving up his deity, which he didn't. He never ceased to be God, but he became man. Uh, And even though he remained God, he became a real man who could sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He was a perfect man, 
As Hebrews says, he was holy, harmless, and undefiled, separate from sinners. But nevertheless, he lived among us. His deity, though veiled, was still there. Uh, And so in one person, he was both God and man. And even Paul himself recognizes there's a mystery here. Uh, In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifests in the flesh. But it's crucially important that he be both of those things. And the church has recognized that for a long time. And one of the uh, councils of the church, the Council of Chalcedon in 451, formulated a description of that. And so I want to read you at least part of their uh, pronouncement. They wrote, we then follow the Holy Fathers all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, to be acknowledged in two natures, unconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of the natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in the one person and the one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one in the same Son and the only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether it boggles our mind to think about that, it was absolutely crucially essential that the mediator be in one person, both God and man. Because only as man could he be our substitute. And only as God could he sustain the burden of God's wrath against sin. And so in that one person, he must be both God and man. as the church has historically understood and taught. The second element we see in this verse, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt is the word tent. It's the word tabernacle. It's the same word used in the translation of the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek. Uh, It's literally Jesus tabernacled among us. And it's specifically that to help us appreciate the fact that the Old Testament tabernacle prefigured and anticipated and pointed ahead toward the tabernacle, which was the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we kind of get a comparison or think about that, uh, just a few things to draw to your attention. One is that the tabernacle was used primarily in the wilderness. When the people of Israel made their way into the land of Canaan. They were uh, going to be settled. And the plan was, it didn't happen immediately, but the plan always was that there be a a physical building, a temple to house the uh, Ark of the Covenant and where people would gather to worship. But in the wilderness wanderings, it was this portable tent that housed the sacred articles And so the tabernacle was in a period of hardship, turmoil, hunger, uh, disobedience, death. And Jesus, the true tabernacle, 
entered the world in just such a state of darkness and disease, of departure from God, of disobedience and turmoil and hardship. And he came to tabernacle with us. The tabernacle was also the place where God displayed his glory. God would come down in his Shekinah and reside on the tabernacle and, and demonstrate to all the people the glory of his character. What we see in Christ, who is the true tabernacle, the glory of God that's revealed in him. The tabernacle was the place where he met, uh, where God met with men. They would be gathered together to worship him, gathered together in his presence. Jesus Christ, the true tabernacle, dwells with us. He says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. He is dwelling here with us. The church gathered together, Paul says in Ephesians 2, that the church is the dwelling in which the, uh, the, the place where God dwells by his spirit. God's, uh, Jesus Christ is the tabernacle. He dwells with us. He's present with us. He demonstrates his glory to us. It was the place where the sacrifices were offered. Of course, Jesus Christ, he is the sacrifice. The cross becomes the altar on which the true tabernacle sheds his blood that we might be forgiven. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we, the third thing, we have seen his glory. I read this last week. John particularly underscores how he saw and touched and held the the glory of God in the person of Christ. In his first letter, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He held, he touched, he saw, he declared uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have seen his glory. What does glory mean? Glory in the, the Hebrew idea of glory is something weighty, heavy, uh, is someone, something worthy of honor. Worthy of worship. It's the weightiness of God. How do we see the glory of God in Christ? Well, we see it at his birth. The angel, the shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Suddenly the angel of the Lord is upon them and the glory of the Lord and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. They saw the glory of the Lord in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're still in John, turn to John 2 verse 11. We see the glory of Jesus in his miracles. He's at the wedding in Cana. Uh, He's they They're run out of wine. He turns the water into wine. And we're told about that. In verse 11, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus 
revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. We see the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day he'll come again in glory. But why is it that we don't see it? What is it that hinders us from observing that glory or in our world? Why is that glory not recognized and seen? Because of sin. In Romans 3.23, a familiar verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't see it. Paul Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see it. Sin gets in the way. And the only way we see the glory of God is by faith. Faith allows us to see it. Faith, we read the Bible with faith and we see the glory of God. We see God at work in his church and we see the glory of God. Jesus, in encouraging Martha at the, at the occasion, at the time of Lazarus' uh, death, he says to, to Martha, Martha, didn't I tell you that if only you believed, you would see the glory of God? It's faith that God gives us that enables us to see that glory. The fourth element of the incarnation here is Christ's unique sonship. Uh, His The word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten. Now here's where our heretics will come in and say, see, see, there was a time when Jesus was not. He was begotten. There was a beginning to him. Of course, it's totally misunderstanding, totally misusing. God is using human terminology to communicate something very important to us. And what he's communicating here in calling him the only begotten is he's drawing attention to that unique relationship within the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's his unique sonship. Is that unique relationship uh, to God the Father Uh, Some translations translate this word only begotten as one and only. I think they're missing out on an important truth that's part of it. But that does draw our attention to the fact that he's unique. Israel was called the sons of God. You're a child of God. But he is the unique divine son. The second person of the Trinity. Glorious God in human form. The fifth element of the glory of the incarnation here is his divine condescension, Christ's divine condescension. The word became flesh, tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glories of the only begotten from the Father. It's a marvel of grace and a wonder of love that the Father would do that. It's also an amazing thing that the Son would condescend to be with us. As Paul would say it in Philippians 2, though being in the form of God, 
He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to at all costs. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in appearance as a man. The divine condescension of Christ to enter into human flesh that he might bear our iniquity, that he might be the compassionate and faithful high priest. And his, Jesus reflected his condescension and his return to glory in his great high priestly prayer in John 17. He, he says to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. His divine condescension. Charles Wesley captured it just beautifully in his wonderful hymn, And Can It Be? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Humbled himself, so great his love, and bled for all his chosen race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? The divine condescension of of our Savior. Is an amazing, amazing thing to behold. And the sixth element of glory in the, in the incarnation is Christ's divine sufficiency. Uh, it ends, the verse ends, he was full of grace and truth. And the word full creates the image of this abounding abundance. Uh, there is a no end of the resources that our Savior has on our behalf. He's abundantly full. Uh, does he have enough of all these resources to go around? He has more than enough. Can he, care, can he have the resources to help you? He can help you and he helps everyone else in this room. He has abundance. What is he full of? What is he abundant in? He's full of grace. The unmerited favor of God towards sinners in forgiving them by his blood and by his grace. He's full of that. It's, oh, he's overflowing with that. He's abundant in his grace, in his mercy. Jesus is the friend of publicans and sinners. Well, he's the friend of that sinner, but is he a friend of this sinner? Well, of course he is, because he's full of grace. Grace overflowing. He's also full of truth. There's honesty, there's reliability, there's faithfulness, there's truth in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth. He not only teaches us truth, he is truth. When we find truth in him, Abundant truth, faithful truth that we can rest in and can guide us and give us 
hope, and peace. This is your great mediator, the Word who became flesh and tabernacles among us, and we see his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. May you and I, by faith, behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and make our reflections on his birth the reality of seeing him for who he is. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your abundant glory and and mercy that you so richly have poured out into our lives. Thank you for this time of year to particularly reflect on the coming of our Savior. Thank you that he entered this world that he might redeem us and purchase us for you. May we be filled with the sense of that and the wonder of that, and may you help us to grow in our appreciation and love for our Savior, now and forevermore. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.